Hi, my name is Ellie Oppenheimer, and I'm just warning you that this week my daddy and his friends might swear. So if you don't like swearing, then get the hell out of here. Hamotzi lechem minha Amen. All right, Ellie, you get the first bite. You get the bite. first piece. Yay. First Grab piece it. of challah. Oh, it looks so good. Ellie loves her carbs. We need to carb load because we got, you know, we're Ellie's recording had, an episode today. Ellie's had two donuts this morning, and it's only I 8.52. I like your style. Hello, J. Crew. This is Unorthodox, the world's leading Jewish podcast by so many metrics. Any metric you throw at us, we win. I am your host, Mark Oppenheimer, back up to three children at home. One came back from camp. And I'm joined as ever by Stephanie Butnick. Hello. Hello. And Liel Leibowitz. I'd like to wish you a happy Zion Betamuz fast day. Right. That's right. The rabbi, I was actually at Minion last night and the rabbi mentioned that. And then he mentioned that um, it's a long fast because days are long. Days are long. Days are long. Um, our guests this week are Jenna Joslett, who's written a book about the history of the Ten Commandments and has written so much more. And cat therapist Carol Wilborn, who, to say the least, is the cat's meow. Boom. Anyway, um, what's up, Jews? I've already delivered my news, which is that Ellie's back from summer camp, which is after two weeks away. Rebecca's still off. We're back up to 0.75 fullness. I don't know. What do you guys got? I mean, I have nothing that that good. Is there anything going on in your life that like you're excited for and say like two months? Well, we're in the two month. We're in the two month home stretch to my wedding. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you so much. I'm I'm engaged. I don't know if you guys know that. Yeah, I noticed. uh, What's that on your finger? A rang. A rang. Um, So, yeah, everything suddenly seems like very imminent. Do basic betches say rang? I don't know. I do, though. Okay. No, I, did. I just did that time. I've never tried. I just was trying it out. It started here. Right. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I like to that you assume that, like, I speak the language of basic batches. I bring that to the table. But um, I just kind of made it up. I think Although it probably. I, you know, I'm probably the biggest. Yeah, you're the most basic. I'm here. the most basic bitch here. Mark's like a basic dad. <laughs> a little bit. Yes. All right. Liel, what do you got going on? I have gloriously nothing. Nothing. It's amazing. Nothing. Nothing. nothing at all. You reading anything? I, I am reading. What are you? Because when you have nothing going on. That means you have six books going on. When I have nothing going on, that means I read Holocaust books. Why? <laughs> You're always reading Holocaust books. I know. Are I'm you, a Jew. Are you reading some classics? It. Are you back in like David Wyman, Lucy Davidovich? Like, are you oh, old, no, going old school? I'm, or are you... I'm rocking. I'm rocking avant-garde shit. I'm rocking like <laughs> give us some racks. 2016, 2017 vintage Auschwitz <laughs> architecture, man. Like oh, man. The, the shit. Do you want to know how it ends? <laughs> <laughs> Don't spoil Sorry, it. Dude. So like you're, it's, like, it's like you're a self-hating Jew, basically, because you are just masochistic. You know, there's definitely there's definitely a, a thing going on, but it really, I think Holocaust reading really does make for a really good summary, <laughs> nice summer read. You don't, nice you, don't, you don't want like a thriller. I think you really want, you know. Look, I'm like a sucker for novel set that have some sort of Holocaust like theme, a little lost piece of something you know like isn't all that about book that. that everyone on every airplane ride i take reading the anthony door book that's holocaust right or it's world war ii era all the light you cannot see isn't that yeah. world war ii sounds holocaust but I, I don't i don't like my holocaust novelized i like you like the I real like straight, like straight oh no dope. i like a little a little romance <laughs> a little intrigue a little like the nazi guard the jewish not that much not that <laughs> the not, jewish not rag girl <laughs> no too Oof. much too much. Me. All right, little news of the Jews. Also, maybe. I'm sorry, but like it's so much fun to carry these books on the subway because everyone <laughs> kind of just doesn't make eye contact because you're the weirdo reading about Treblinka on on the three. Is line, that right? the way to like not be bothered? On yeah, the subway? that's exactly the way. 
Because like a popular book, people are like, oh, I read this. Aren't you loving yeah, this? Yeah, you're like, no. Or like some cool book, people are like, oh, yeah, you're so fucking pretentious. You're reading like Plutarch. Juna but Barnes. Like, but yeah. Bubbles. But, but, but you carry that like 700 That's page. a tome. <laughs> Everyone's sort of like, you're really weird. No, no, one, no uh, one fist bumps you on the Raoul about, Hilberg. Like, if there's like a subway preacher, do they avoid, like, do they let you be? They're like, excuse me very much. I'm trying to write. Oh, never mind. You're not going to give me a dollar. You're in Treblinka right now. Little news of the Jews. Little news. Do we do some NOTJ? Uh, Hobby Lobby, the big craft store, the the store that I will never set foot in, not just because its owners are right-wing freaks, but I've... There's no universe in which I go to the crafting store. <laughs> I was about to say. It's funny because I actually like, didn't grow up in a place where there were Hobby Lobbies. Nor I. They, so, for, they did not move into the north until very recently. So people are like, oh, this store I went to my whole life now has this like, you know, they were part of the they the Supreme Court decision so that they wouldn't have to pay for birth control in their health care plans. Like all of a sudden it would be like, I guess like if Michael's did that. My, right. Michael's is like my. That's your crafting Michael's store. Michael's my boy. Right. So Hobby Lobby's returning a bunch of valuable Iraqi antiquities <laughs> that they smuggled out of Iraq with the help of three shady Israeli antiquities dealers. The only news of the Jews here is the, the shady Israeli antiquity dealers who helped Hobby Lobby. The steal. only news here is that how come it didn't happen sooner? Because every <laughs> nothing about the story is news or surprising. Wait, have you heard what the case name is? It's, it's like the, uh, yeah, it's I'll read it to you. It's in the Eastern District of New York. Okay, case name is the United States of America v. Approximately four hundred fifty ancient cuneiform tablets and approximately <laughs> three thousand ancient clay bullae. I love that the the v is against the actual tablets. It's yeah, not no, even it's right. not Hobby Lobby. I mean, but to be honest, like the thing that bothers me most about this is their their statement was like. We learned a lot from this. Like, we, you know, we're new to this because they're starting a museum on the D.C. Mall. That's like the Museum of the Bible or biblical something. And so this is for presumably for the museum. And we're they new did, to pillaging. Yeah, they basically did <laughs> the really Trump defense, it. which was like, you know. I'm not good at this. We didn't. We, we're, we're new to the world of acquiring this stuff and, and didn't appreciate the complexities of the antiquity. Right. Process. When like Shlomo and and Yuri were like, don't tell anyone. It is it is not. It, like, it, no in, need to fill out this form. We, they, they, we didn't know. We, we thought, live in a world now where you can be like, I learned a lot from this misstep. And guys, like, I, I've only been stealing antiquities for like a month. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get better. I'm the, like the black market. So speaking of people who have a lot to learn, North Carolina. Segway alert. North Carolina. Gay Pride schedules their parade for what holiday? If you had to pick one holiday on which to not schedule the parade to make it the fast of Gadalia, I, yeah. I, I was just about to say it's so fucking A minor fast day? Um, Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur. Major fast. Then they realized they messed up and then they promised, the organizers promised to quote, find a solution. I assume the solution will be move the parade. Well, they can't. It's too late to move, move the parade, I think. So Jews will get their own special. And they'll march together. With little stars on, yeah. right? No, how about instead of like the gay pride flag, Jews could march with like their kittles on? <laughs> no? No, but so basically, I a mean. A joke for three listeners. A, three listeners. a few <laughs> rabbis have sort of written about this from North Carolina. And one said, you know, like it was, we couldn't participate up for a long time because it was on Shabbat. And then we actually changed our synagogue rules so that we could be part of community activism on Shabbat. And so we all went. So there's clearly has been on the side of the the Jewish community and like an interest in getting involved, you know, in, in being allies and being supportive and to sort of, you know, I get it. Like the holidays move around. Oh, but this they're is, early this, this year. This is like Raleigh Durham. This is, I do get yeah, it, but it's like, this is not like backwoods. Check no, it anywhere. against the Jewish calendar. Is like, there an Isser though on marching on Yom Kippur? Well, it's the most, I mean, if it's the most so- solemn think, holy day of the year. The Isser is you should be, you've temple. got a, you're otherwise occupied. Like it. Well, you know, it's a whole day. 
But it can take two hours. Yeah, so like, we the two to five period. That yeah. period we're like, what are we going to do? Go into to guys. Two to five is nap time. Two to f- I was about to say on, on Yom Kippur and most Saturdays. Yeah. Um, but it's crazy because the two the two things are could not be more like incomparable. The idea of like the solemn holy day and then this like prideful march. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's just a celebration. And I guess you could turn it somehow. Although Yom Kippur is supposed to be a joyous day, it really is. I mean, everything's been kind of sealed and done. And and I don't think it's supposed to be a joyous day. Is I, that your your read on it's, it? It's a Hasidic attitude. I'm not making this shit up. Like the book is closed. I believe you Rosh have a Rebbe. Rosh is, 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 the, is the horrible Rosh day of all. Yeah. Ingber told you it's a joyous day? Is that what you're getting For now? Ingber, every day is a every joyous day. Every day is a joyous day. <laughs> yeah, um, when is not a joyous day? Jay-Z's latest album, 444, <laughs> sparks concern from the Jewish community. On the song, The Story of OJ, I'm already loving this. Brooklyn's Finest raps. By the way, I think I've talked about this on the show before. It was like a year and a half ago when I figured out that Jay-Z was a reference to the, the subway, subway lines. Because I'm sitting there on the subway one day and I'm looking. I'm like, do I want the F? Do I want... And I see that J and Z. Are... Yeah. And it all became. And the... they're like from Marcy to Madison Square. Yeah. The clouds so... parted. And I thought that's why he named himself Jay-Z. So in other words, and if he... you were ever a rapper, you'd be the M track. Yes. I'd be the M45 bus. <laughs> That's what I'm You'd be the Metro North. Go to LaGuardia, LGA. All right. Um, anyway, on the story of OJ. From Massachusetts to New Haven. <laughs> he raps, you want to know what's more important than throwing money away at a strip club? Credit. You ever wonder why Jewish people own all the property in America? This how they did it. So basically this song, it's sort of like a capitalist ode. This... A, pr- a celebration <laughs> of, of, of doing well, basically, this song in America. is when Jay-Z turns into Susie Orman. He's like, and here's... Like, your, your Roth IRA is really important. I was like, I don't even care about the vaguely anti-Semitic shit in it. It's a, such a boring theme for a but, rap song, okay, man. Okay, so everyone got up in like, arms. Dad. People were like, basically, everyone was like, what is this lyric about Jewish people? Like, it kind of came out of nowhere. And then the ATL got involved and they were like, this is anti-Semitic. And then everyone like, you had to have an opinion. So I feel like for the show, like I have to have an opinion. And my opinion is that like, it's icky and I don't know why he did it, but I'm like not super, I'm not like, this is a big problem in America. The real big problem in America is that really great rappers become really wealthy and then they run out of shit to rap about. And then they start doing this shit. This is why it really helps to be batshit crazy like Kanye, because at this point you're just rapping <laughs> about like whatever the universe is telling about you. the unicorns that right. dance through your it dreams. Doesn't even matter. Yeah, and not being like I'm going to play on like sort of it's they're sort of they're philo-Semitic and also anti-Semitic right. canards of Jews being good with money and being like successful and also Jews maybe go to the strip club. What? We're not like these upstanders. Like I'm not trying. We're to... not not going to the strip club. Excuse me, sir. Excuse me. Tonight we are going to the How strip club. How dare you? My exposure to hip hop music is basically, you know, a movie every two or three years. The last one being Straight Outta Compton, which of course also has was it Easy E or who is it? Which one has the song that's about the Jews and the money? That's right. Right. So, I mean, would it be correct to say, oh, hip hop mavens of mine, Stephanie and Liel? Is it a trope? Is it in more than two hip hop songs that like the Jews got the money? Yes. And there's a supercut on YouTube of basically all rappers, like a bunch of rappers singing about their Jewish lawyers. And it's like, it's this weird thing because you're like, they're singing positively about their Jewish lawyers, but they are also perpetuating a stereotype here's, of Jewish here's, lawyers, here's, like kind of controlling their money. You learn from hip hop songs. Uh, women, according to <laughs> rap music, you know, are really only good for a very limited range of things if you're really taking your cues from like what rap songs are trying to teach you i think your whole vision of reality but is kind of fucked up jay-z's in his 40s now like he should be growing up a, i mean 
that's why his whole new i mean his this album is sort of like his fatherhood his infidelity like he's really he's like dad on this album what's his child's name blue yeah, and little baby blue. And we don't Ivy. know baby what blue. the other two are named do, yet. Do like Uncle Myron, the Jewish, you know, who's always at our. <laughs> You're Uncle Myron. <laughs> you know Uncle Myron, who's always coming around and telling mommy and daddy how much, how much they can spend, what their allowance is. Do like him. Credit. It doesn't even make sense. You know how they got like, actually, the way they got to own all the property. First of all, we don't own all the property. See, even as me spouting anti-Semitic canards. But if we did own all the property, I don't Not think all would, the property. It, Just <laughs> most of it. It's like in credit. New York City. Like, what does that even mean? Credit. Just take out a credit card, then you got all the property. I'm impressed with my attorney, Bernie. I'm impressed with his influential friends. He's got very big connections, and I follow his directions. Bernie knows his way around, and so I always do what Bernie recommends. We have an amazing Jewish guest this week. Jenna Weissman Jocelyn is a historian and a professor and a renowned chronicler of Jewish life and culture in America. Her latest book is Set in Stone, America's Embrace of the Ten Commandments. She's also newly a columnist at Tablet, where she's writing about amazing things like the era of the Jewish taxi driver in New York City. Uh, welcome, Jenna. Delighted to be here. Professor, professor I you should say. You can call me Jenna. So you're yeah. off for the summer. Not really. It's during the summer when I do all my work. So it's not like, you know... Rosé, slushy is like all your students. No, that'd be nice, but no, working hard. So the book, the new book, this is your fifth book, sixth book? I don't know. I don't count. Oh. I think well, it might be seven. <laughs> you know, that's, in contrast to Liel, who knows exactly how many books he's uh-huh. written, because I once got it wrong. I oh. once said four, and like six. I it was, it was like, fucking with you. I, <laughs> I don't think I know. You moved in so fast to correct me. Um, yeah. Anyway, tell us about the new book, Set in Stone. So it's a look at the, the Ten Commandments and how they've circulated through time and how they've really entrenched themselves or insinuated themselves in American life. And the question is, why? What is it about America that uh, finds the Ten Commandments so congenial? And what it is about the Ten Commandments that lends themselves to such entrenchment? They're kind of in, I feel like in certain circles, they're in ill repute because of Roy Moore down in Alabama because they become the thing that right-wingers like insist yeah, on putting yeah. up as monuments. Yeah, that's now. But the lovely thing about being a historian is you look back then and, and for the longest time uh, the Ten Commandments brought people together, didn't set them apart. And so there's a kind of um, sad trajectory to the it's story. almost like you're yeah. saying that we used to be less stupid in America. More innocent. How oh, about that? Yeah. No? Simpler times. More civilized? More restrained, what do you mean, I think. What do you mean I, they used to bring people together? Well, it was one of the few things that Jews and Christians had in common. They were a source of, um, well, you know, in the absence of an established religion, uh, I think the Ten Commandments did the job really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now they're a big bone of contention. They're the, the stuff of litigation. Uh, they're uh, associated with people that most of us don't want to associate with. So. How, how did that happen? How, how did they come into Oh, that's this. such a good question. I don't know. Read the book. <laughs> well, we, we have. We have. Our readers will. There are five yeah. or six people out there listening to us right now or, oh, or, or more. more. Yeah. Uh, Think who, of this as the world's like largest Barnes & Noble reading. Uh-huh. And they have yeah. it there, but they're going to buy it. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. That's the question that I grapple with. How did it come to this? How did something that was such a... Um, a lovely force uh, for togetherness to devolve into something that um, is a, a source of disunion. And I think it has to do with the changing complexion of America. I think it has to do with the fact that once upon a time, the Ten Commandments were not um, were not so coercive. You know, uh, they weren't seen as being imposed. And so I think the 
combination of the two together renders the Ten Commandments today a bit of a hot spot. So when did we start displaying Ten Commandments everywhere? Like when did that become Well, a apparently thing? early. I mean, that was the great surprise of the book uh, when I, I started to take a look at all sorts of iterations and versions of the Ten Commandments. Uh, they appear in the form of charm bracelets and bookends and bookmarks and every conceivable aspect of daily life. But I think your question really is when did they become monumental? When mm-hmm. did they become public? Uh, and that's in the late 50s, early 60s. When uh, in the wake of that blockbuster, which we still screen every year between uh, Easter and, and Passover. What's it called again? The Ten Commandments. <laughs> Wait, quick, quick, poll, quick poll. Have you guys yeah. seen the Ten Commandments? Oh, of course. Of that Charles, course. Charles never Heston. Seen it. You've a, never seen what it? What is wrong with you? He's Heston also never movie. read um, The Diary of Anne Frank. Advi- well, who, who has never read me. The Diary of Anne Frank? As a principled thing? No, I just it was never assigned You're in kidding. junior high when Stephanie read it. Ah. No, I've it's never read it voluntarily. I read that in like it nursery might be school. A it's thing. only been assigned, <laughs> and the movie thing it just violates my rule of not seeing movies bef- made before 1970 because they're yeah. boring. But um, I mean, I've, I've, meanwhile, I've read three of your books. So look, I'm spending hey, my hey, hey, I'm hey. doing my culture vulturing in the right places. But well, I bet you didn't see the 1923 version either of the Ten Commandments. Now that's really a movie you have to see. Did let's, you know? Let's do a they didn't see that. Didn't see that. Oh, I didn't oh, even know that really existed. Well, yeah. I actually had to see it in film school. Um, so something that was so fascinating about reading your book is so I, you know, associate the Ten Commandments with those big sort of Christian evangelical displays. But what I didn't, I almost forgot, is that synagogues, Jewish synagogues, were displaying the Ten Commandments for a long time. Like that right. was a big part of of the decor almost. Uh, decor. Interesting choice. Well, I was words. thinking about I was <laughs> yes. thinking about the congregation in New yeah. York City that yeah, you wrote about. It's not about. a wonderful story. It has to do with a congregation. I think it's actually the first synagogue in New York built as a synagogue before then they inhabited and transformed other spaces. Um, And uh, they hired a very up-and-coming architect to design the space uh, and a window along with it. And lo and behold, he comes up with the idea of a window that's circular rather than rectangular, which was the traditional mode. And that occasioned quite the hoo-ha. And uh, I love the fact that the Ten Commandments uh, in 1850 is the stuff of consternation and not the stuff of comedy, you know, uh, and that shul politics erupts on the basis of shape, not a, on the because basis of Because it was like a idea. pie, right? And each... Well, it's just round, yeah. And, and, each... and you can't tell. So each pane of glass presumably <laughs> contained uh, something. The, the rub of the story, the conceit, uh, the the great takeaway is that the window doesn't exist anymore. The building still survives. The window was vandalized and what still endures is the shape, the kind of silhouette which is now ensconced in plastic. But you can't tell exactly how the Ten Commandments would fit. So I actually tried to get up on a ladder in the back of the synagogue and make my way in to see if I could see any kind of remnants. I mean, I I had my Indiana Jones moment. And the only thing that I came away with other than a Uh, thankfulness that I was back down on the ground after being on that ladder was uh, I understood the impact visually of the round. Uh, I understood how it might have translated. Um, It's a very effective device, which is a long-winded way of saying, yes, synagogues have made use of the Ten Commandments in stained glass windows um, as the stuff of needlework. Uh, It adorns the Aron, the Ark. Um, uh, It adorns the the body of of, um, Torah scrolls. So it has a long history, but it's in America really that it comes into its own in, in a really pronounced, really strong way. And that was the surprise of the book. I mean, who knew uh, that American culture is so rich in stuff relating to the Ten Commandments? I have a question that could only come from a true Jenna Weissman, Jocelyn nerd like me, <clears throat> someone you know had who read your books with pleasure back in grad school and has since. And, you know, so one of your great books, The Wonders of America, is about um, 
It's about American popular culture uh, or material culture, or right? Vernacular. Vernacular. That's culture. the fancy that's, word. That's the word I was. That's the word. And, I have a question, and, and you talk about this is you, a deep cut. It's a deep, deep cut, and you, you talk about sort of Jewish aesthetics through through the decades, right? Through, right? And right. I'm curious. Is there a Jewish – so you talk about, you know, how did Jewish homes look in the 40s how to, versus how did they look in the 50s? And what were the trinkets and what were the tchotchkes? Right, and what were the, right, right. Is there – can you name in the present moment if there's a Jewish aesthetic? No, you know, oh. and I'm, I'm sometimes thinking maybe I should do Wonders too. Yeah. You know, yes. um, I, I really think about that um, very often. And I'm not sure that there's a, enough of a different story to warrant. Maybe the d- story – is in the details, not in the overall picture. So I think a lot about whether the aesthetic remains, as I put it in Wonders, and I know you like that quote, stubbornly second rate. And uh, I think to it's a so judge. I just love the judginess of it. Like it's great because historians do need to judge, and you're just like it's second rate. So yeah, but that was the only moment in the entire book I think where I was judgy. Um, and Mark was like, I like this one better. I like that. One. <laughs> That's but, right. But so you. So I, I, I do think you we notice become, one now? No, or we're just no. Americans now? Uh, no, I think we're much more visually sophisticated, and I think we attend to aesthetic matters with a zeal that, um, well, I'm going to get in trouble for this, but let me say it anyway. We attend to um, aesthetic matters with a knowingness and a zeal that I think our ancestors did not. I also think we're far more fragmented. Uh, we're more culturally divided. So if I were to say that the aesthetic in one community is the prevailing one, that would hold true for that community, not across right. the board. Well, the place uh, you could uh, do that book is in is in the Orthodox community, is in the From community, because they, right. have, they have looks, they have and, looks. They have, and we get mail right. on that. I mean, we talk uh, yeah? about that, uh-huh. and then we get mail from them who say, yeah, we do. Like, there's you know, I mean, they have their their fashions that come and go in wigs, in long sleeved shirts. But then you also have the sort of Jonathan Adler mod pop Judaica aesthetic, which is like Palm Beach. But like, you can't really tell that it's a menorah, but there's spaces for the candles. So like, I don't know. I think it's kind of fascinating what's going on now. Yeah. Um, One thing I would say is that the Ten Commandments probably wouldn't appear in anybody's home uh, these days, um, and certainly not on a wrist and not in a painting. Oh, I wonder, but what about like a good tattoo? A tattoo, I've seen, I've seen, oh, a dare, dare, a dare. I've seen tattoos, yeah. Of all ten, or just like a favorite one? No, no, the the shape. It's all about the shape. You know, it's not about the content, which is something I've been discovering. The two two tablet thingies. Thingy, yeah, 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 the round topness of it. Well, it's Uh, funny, because so we're obviously called tablet, and that is, you know, that's happened because you know? of the original everyone thinks we're like a m- magazine for tablet readers for like e-readers but we're like no we're the old tablets ah, clever. and and uh-huh. even on our some of our like imagery we use that same you know the two I tablets don't know that other. there were tablets when we launched tablet no it was pre-tablet it and was that's pre-tablet what, yeah. mm-hmm. post og tablet ot tablet but yeah, I mean, I think it's still such a visual, resonant visual right. image. Right. And I think increasingly it became the public face of American Judaism and American Jews. I don't think it always was. And so the, the point of the book really is how the Ten Commandments changed their stripes, not their contents, but their stripes. And they circulate through history and they expand their, their impact and they contract and they, they have a life like any other. And yet we still, we still pay fact. attention to the Do we? content. Yeah. Don't we? Can we name them? I, I, I think knew we could, oh. at least some. Wait, let's try this. Dash not kill. No, wait, 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 wait. I think wait. We should do so there are all these surveys. Stephen Prothero loves these surveys, of course, on his how religiously illiterate we are, right? What? That you can even you can stand at the door of the biggest evangelical megachurch and just grab someone coming out who's like sweating with piety and say, name the Ten Commandments, and they can get what three, four, if you're lucky <laughs> oh, come on a good on. day. Three or four. All right, so here we go. You ready? Who wants to try this? Leo, are you going to try this or I Stephanie? I already gave one. Dash not kill. Okay. Oh, oh yeah, you one? did kill. Great. Kill. Okay. Really. Let's see. Wait, can 
You Co- name them all. Uh-huh. Covet. You can't? <laughs> you know why? Because there are different versions. There are different versions. Right. The Catholic, the Protestant. You know, I actually boned up. I knew you were going to ask Can me that. Name, how about, let's <laughs> do no, the Jewish version. No, I can't. I can't. Okay. I'm going to rock the Hebrew. So, okay. so oh, Loti Sashem Elohim Lashav, right? So you okay, do not carry my, my name in vain. vain. Right. right. Name right. in vain. Uh, okay. Which one is that? That is the first, I believe. Oh, now you want the numbers? No, not the first. Um, Bing. No, number the first is I am your God. But is right. that a, a, an actual commandment or is yes. that yes. a preamble yes. to yes. the Constitution? Well, okay. the Protestants so and Catholics think it's a preamble. The Jews hold it as number one, don't then that, we? Then that would be number one. Okay. So okay. they um, add a different one? Yeah, I they, can definitely they, they not do them in order. Differently. The math is different. It's right. so hilarious. So they have the 13 commandments. Um, we so we have we coveting. Got, we ain't got to Moshiach, all right? Coveting. We have okay. you should not, uh, you should not uh, speak. Oh. Is well, it? No, no, oh, 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 no, you're in, yeah. name in vain. Right. There's right. Lot Hamod, which is thou shalt not covet. Which is uh, don't take the name in vain. Okay. Is there have no other gods but me? Yeah, that's yeah. up there. Uh, yeah, that's, I, isn't that I am your god? No, no, it's no, a separate no, no, one. No other gods. Okay, these are these but are like sub bullets. Lo te'ane is don't don't uh, don't bear false witness or false lying. Testament. Right, it's, uh, you know it, it doesn't say lying. I know, but that's yeah, that's the import. Uh, there's yeah. uh, uh, you know honor thy, thy father, father and mother, which is Mom my dad. least favorite but- <laughs> commandment, obviously. <laughs> Keep um, Shabbat. <laughs> right. I did not know that oh, was a commandment. Shit, kill. How Stephanie. many? How many you got? <laughs> one, two. Wait, Shabbat one, is a commandment. Two, three, four, five, <laughs> so six, I'm not seven. doing well. I think we're up to eight. Jewish, Jewish it's a, life. It's a, it's a thing we're doing. I think we're up to eight. Do we get covet? We got covet many times. <laughs> what are we missing, Jenna? <laughs> I don't know. Do you don't know what we're missing. <laughs> what do we do? Hey, we got. I am your God. Don't take my name in vain. Oh, don't grave covet. an image. Grave an image. Oh. Grave an image. Oh. Thank you, historian. <laughs> stubbornly second right. American Jewish. We have to. Speaking of graven images, we have to go in a sec. Can I? But we're unorthodox. We got nine out of ten. Come on, we should good. make our own commandments. <laughs> thou shalt listen every thou Thursday shalt, morning. Thou shalt download on Thursday. That's right. Okay. Jenna uh, Weissman Joslet, set in stone. America's embrace of the Ten Commandments. One final question: What's your favorite commandment? Do not covet. Yeah. There we go. Thanks for being here. My pleasure. Great fun. Thank Thank you all. Hear me. Oh, hear me. All pay heed. The Lord, the Lord Jehovah, has given unto you these 15. Ten. Ten commandments for all to obey. All right, listen, we have some live shows coming up, and we are doing four at the JCC Manhattan, which is our uptown location, site of our sold-out show last year. The next one is soon. Okay, soon. Sound effect for soon. July 25th. That's right, Tuesday, July 25th. The Jew of the Week will be 538.com political prognosticator Harry Enten. And our guest Gentile will be Harun Mogul, who is Muslim, but also a fellow at the Great Jewish Center of Learning, the Shalom Hartman Institute. He's a fellow in Jewish-Muslim relations, and he's the author of the new book, How to Be a Muslim. You may have heard him on Fresh Air. If every person who heard him on Fresh Air buys a ticket to come see him in person, we will sell 12 million tickets. See you there, Terry. See you there, Terry. Um, Listen, two great guests, special prizes, possibly more guests, lots of hugs from us. We'll stay after to schmooze. We'll go out for drinks. JCC in Manhattan, Upper West Side, Tuesday, July 25th. We'll be drinking on stage, most likely. 7.30 p.m. Uh, Tickets ain't that expensive. Go to jccmanhattan.org and click on Arts and Ideas. Please come. 
Hey, everyone, listen, we asked for your help on the camp stories and you gave us help. If you heard the camp episode, you guys sent us a lot of stories. Our listeners are our best writers. In fact, you guys have better stories than we do. So I want to ask you for three more things. First of all, we're doing another apology episode for uh, Yom Kippur this year. So if any of you has good stories of apologies that you've made, apologies not accepted, apologies thwarted, apologies that didn't go well, uh, send them to unorthodox at tabletmag.com. It's not too late to say sorry. It's never too late to say sorry. Second. That was a Justin Bieber reference. Yeah. I didn't get that. Idea. Thank you. You saw in my face I saw, I was like, that it didn't flicker. There was no flicker. Nope. Second, um, our writer Jonathan Zalman is on the road. Where's he going? In his his endpoint is North Dakota. Is that where he's going? His he's going everywhere. Everywhere. He's taking his dog. What's his dog's name? Lady. Lady. Oh, the best. He's taking Lady the Black Lab, and he's on the road, crossing America, looking for interesting Jewish stories. So if you're somewhere in Middle America, and you'd like to introduce Jonathan Zalman to like the craziest Jew or the craziest Jew story in town or whatever. Uh, again, email us, unorthodox at tabletmag.com. We will pass the word on. Um, and third, I just thought this would be a great opportunity. We've decided we're doing a nose job episode. I bet some of our listeners have just thoughts on nose jobs. Yours, your sisters, your fathers, your mothers. The one you didn't get. The one you didn't get, the one you're planning to get. Let us decide for you if you should have one. The answer is no. Uh, maybe, I don't know, maybe. No, you can't. Yet. You're doing that thing where you're just like conscripting upon people what you think. You're right. People can do it. We're not here to judge. Do what you want. The point is, um, you and your gourmet dog can walk right into the rhinoplasty office. The point is, we need Yom Kippur nostril normativity. We need Yom Kippur (laughs) anecdotes and Jonathan Zalman uh, opportunities and nose job stories. Unorthodox at tabletmag.com. Hit us up. We read and respond to all mail, mostly. Broadway comes to the 14th Street Y on Tuesday, May 21st. Join us at 7 p.m. for a conversation with cast members from Prayer for the French Republic, the Tony Award-nominated Best Play. Tony nominee Betsy Adam and fellow cast members Francis Benhamou, Ethan Haberfield, and Ari Brand will take part in a lively discussion moderated by the New York Times' Mark Tracy. They'll talk about the play's themes of Jewish identity, French culture, and Zionism in times of rising anti-Semitism. This event is part of 14Y's spring season of Jewish culture. As a Jewish community center, 14Y offers a variety of opportunities for people to discover, explore, and connect with Jewish life. Visit 14streetwide.org to learn more and purchase tickets to Broadway at 14Y. Oh my God. I'm so happy. This is amazing. This is just so amazing. Hi. Carol's setting up um, her robot cats, right? Are these technically robots? They are. Okay, everyone. Um, Ooh, this is a delightful. Like yes, we have two cats here in the studio. We also have Carol Wilburn. She is a renowned cat therapist, a cat expert. She's published six books on cat psychology and has treated more than thirteen thousand cats with the Wilburn way, which you know deals with both cats and their owners, and even incorporates Reiki. We are so happy to have you here. There, oh. and you brought cats, which is like you're my favorite <laughs> guest we've ever had. <laughs> They're, they're little mechanical cats. One is black. That's Ziggy Stardust. Then we have Casanova, who is more of like a, a maybe a tabby. Yeah, an orange. Yeah, an orange tabby. Yeah, or an orange tiger. I have to apologize. You you requested a cat, a real cat, be in the studio. Yeah. And I, 
I'm unable to bring my cat, Cat Stevens, uh, who listeners know because about. Because he's a violent He's maniac. a little bit of a problem cat. Oh, he probably needs my help, I would I, think. He definitely oh, needs your well, help. Yeah. He needs your help worse than any <laughs> he cat He needs your help, and seen. I need your help. Is he your only cat? Yes. It's probably part single cat syndrome I if he's know, aggressive. But my apartment's so small, I can't get another cat. Oh, it doesn't matter. It wouldn't matter. Now, here's what we would like to ask you. We'd like to show you a quick video of Cat Stevens. Uh-huh, Stephanie's sure. cat, and, sure. and then we would like your professional opinion because sure. we've been offering unprofessional <laughs> advice to Stephanie, and it's gotten her nowhere for a very long time. Uh, <laughs> most of it would terrify you because uh, we think you should get rid of the cat, and so uh-huh. we would love a professional's sure. opinion. So I have a cat. He's about three and a half. His name is Cat Stevens. What color is it? He is a gray domestic short hair. Does that matter, oh, nice. therapeutically speaking? No, I just thought your, listen- just, I thought your listeners yeah. would like to know. They've seen pictures of him. He is my favorite thing in the entire world, but he is a little bit of a monster. Uh-huh. He used to attack me. I mean, he's. I, I, I hesitate to tell you this. He is on Prozac. Uh-huh. He yeah. I used to attack is me. Is it working? Yes, it, it works a lot. It, I mean, I used to have... Arm, my arms used to be covered in bites. But it's not totally working. Not totally working. And he... He just, like, we'll be lying on the couch, and he'll just come up and just, like, start biting you. And I don't know what... Because I, you're his cat. He needs something to play with. So how big is your apartment? Pretty small. How, how small? Like, twice the size of this studio. <laughs> it's a cozy oh, West Village. Oh, it's big if it's twice the size of this room. That's true, but there's three of us, me and my fiancé and the cat. But you both work, right? Yes. So he's alone all day. Yeah. So, um... It's not like you both work at home. No. We are at home sometimes working. Well, I hope so. Mm-hmm. Um, I really need another cat. That's, that, nothing else Ooh. is going to solve it. My mom is going to hate this. <laughs> why? I Does she know. live there? No. <laughs> so why should she care? You're right. You're right. So, you, so this is part of what you do, right? You treat both the cat and the yeah. patient. Yeah. Family I was to say, can we just talk to you about our lives? Forget <laughs> yeah. the cats. Can sure. I just share right. with you? <laughs> Carol, it's family how, therapy. Tell me, tell me, I'm, I'm, I'm dead serious here. Tell me about the, the training. You know, how do you? I majored you, in psychology. But how do you gain the insight into cat? I mean, some of it is observation. Some of it is well, having gift, a cat practice right? and seeing all these cats. Before then, I just helped people find homes for cats. Right, but a lot of other people spend a lot of time with cats and, and don't have your insight. But they don't into see them. lots of cats. Can you imagine cats coming in all the time and you had to figure out? I absolutely cannot. I had cannot. to figure out. <laughs> that is my worst nightmare. Oh, okay. I had to figure out what to do because maybe they were, they were, their home, they were going to be given up or they were going to be put down. Is there a, a moment that you remember early on in a career in which you understand that you have this gift, this insight, you observe something and then you do something and the cat's behavior changes? Is there like a kind of eureka moment for you? I think. I think the Eureka or the Epiphany was just that I liked them so much and wanted to help them and I I I realized that when I attempted to do something it worked. What are three big mistakes that people make with their cats? Um they with some people they feel that the cat doesn't need that much attention and so they'll go away for weekends and just puts down some food and think, well, cat's independence is going to be okay, and sometimes the cats will get sick, and that's a problem. And then sometimes the cats will be, in their inimitable way, giving communication that things aren't so great, but the person won't recognize it. By, for example, mauling you. uh, No, I'm talking about subtle. Okay. Subtle. 
maybe the tail's just going all the time and the air, ears are flattening and maybe they're, they're eating too much or they're not eating enough or, or they're, they're crying a lot. See, that, that's kind of subtle. But then if the person doesn't realize it, then, then the cat has to step up a bit. So then it, maybe it could become aggression. It could become not using the litter box. It could become being very destructive. If you can't recognize the signs, then it could, you know, really be... Stephanie, are you feeling judged right now? No, I'm actually feeling this, like, very warm... I feel like you are a very non-threatening, non-judgmental presence, which is really nice. I mean, I've had had a veterinary behaviorist in my house. I've done... I've sort of done the whole thing, and a lot of that has made me, like, oh, you know, this idea that I should be doing more, like... This, that, that I'm doing something wrong. That's been a lot of my, my stress and my shame that I feel like I'm not parent enough for this cat. Yeah, I, I think that that you're, you're doing enough, but you can't do it all. And when one can't do it all, then you need help. So you did. You got professional help. But somehow, if someone gave you the answer, you skipped right over it. And really what it is is your cat is, is it's single cat syndrome, and he treats you like he would treat another cat. He could go over and, and jump on another cat. Or they could wrestle, and that would be fine. But that doesn't work yeah. with you because you're not a cat. He does me, though. Well, that's okay. No, but I know, but I that could that, lead into biting, <laughs> Yeah, though, it does. It does. Because the energy builds. So getting the right cat, and if you got a cat that preferred cats to people, then you wouldn't even have to worry about giving the cat attention. Wow. So when you now you do you do house visits. So can you do you walk into a house yeah. and just know everything you need to know like right away before you even? I ask a few questions before, uh, you know, on on the phone and by email, and I usually you know have a good feeling of you know what what's happening. What is the most extreme case you've ever seen? One that was, was very difficult, and it all worked out. It's a happy ending. A psychiatric um, pediatrician got in touch with me um, because he had three cats. His partner had passed on, and his cat started taking it out on the two cats that were mainly his late partner's cats, and it got so bad that the two cats had been living in a kitchen cabinet for the past year. He did seek help, and he had them on on drugs, and that didn't that didn't work. And he just his veterinarian finally said, "Get in touch with Carol." So slowly but surely, got the the cats came out of the cabinet, and now they're all living together. Hold on. So you come into this house, and there are two cats in the cabinet. What's what do you do? Um, I one of the things is I play music for calming. I also do Reiki, which um, is it relieves stress. It balances mind. Body, is it a form spirit. of massage? It's it's placements. It's not really massage. It's just light placement. Uh, you do Reiki for the cats. The, um, I usually will do. I will usually give the person a, a short treatment because the cats get a contact high. Most cats don't like it if you're just holding your hands on them. You could also distant Reiki is just by doing mental symbols. But anyway, all is happy now. And, and what music, by the way, do, do cats... I, use, um, I usually use New Age and usually flute and, and sounds of uh, different uh, animals and fish. And, um, and I also have diff- other sounds to help desensitize. So what I do is I appeal to all of their senses, the Wilburn way of appealing to all their senses... And I have a monthly blog, a free blog on my site, which is thecattherapist.com. 
And I've written several books, and uh, my blog is The Wilburn Way. And I would really like to help you help your cat because uh, there is an answer, and you could you could all really be living very happily. Do you believe that there are some cats – well, this is another way of asking the same question about people, sure. right? But do you believe that there are, are some cats that are, like, beyond redemption? I think some cats take a really – might take a really long time to reach the redemption. But you don't believe any are inherently evil? No, I, I think they're inherently frightened and threatened. And, 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 and even with, with uh, frightened, threatened people, these are the ones who, you know, fill, unfortunately, a lot of our institutions. It's fear, and fear can go a lot of ways. Fear can either make you uh, attack or retreat. It's fight or flight. And it's, e- it's much easier to live with something that's in flight. Was there a point in which you said, you know, I'm just going to make a hell of a lot more money if I do the same thing for people? Well, I'm actually helping the people whose family or inter- interspecies therapy. No, I know, but you could be like $375 an hour like for 30 minutes on the Upper East Side easily just talking to, you know. That, that never occurred to you that you're just going to do humans exclusively? Um. I like helping the people help the cats because then the cats help the people hmm. and everybody's happy. Sometimes I do dogs. I, I, I could do anything. It's what are all the about emotions. What are the emotional, inherent emotional differences between cats and dogs? I think it, it's just that uh, with the dog usually likes to please whoever he or she lives with, where first the cat pleases him, him or herself and then can please the person. That's why I do like cats because cats are conditional. Like dogs love you unconditionally, but there's something about like cats that they play hard to get a little bit. Sid, <laughs> Sid says that our cat doesn't like me because I treat her like I would treat a dog, like I treat our dog, that I want our cat to be a dog, which is true. I want the cat to like romp with me and I want to throw the cat around and the cat's just not... Cat's on her own terms. The cat's not generous with me that way. Yeah. Well, cat has other other priorities. I think that's... I also bought some toys. I endorse multi... Multi pet international toys. They're fun, creative, and durable. Oh, I like this. Yeah, they're fun. And they make it my cat? Yeah, you can. Really? Yes, you can take it every month. So the robot that, cats are moving again. Just so so now we're, speaking of robot cats, now that we're in like the internet era, uh-huh. are people always sending you like memes of cats and videos of cats? Oh yeah. And do you yeah. like them? Some of them I do. Yeah. Uh-huh. I do. Yeah. So like you like the rest of us are also watching cat videos on the I, internet. I all do, day. and I, I take a lot of them because I, I use them on my blog and I use them, you know, for demos and uh, Casanova likes. Stephanie, Leo. are you gonna get another cat? I really think you should. I would love another cat. My my worry is that then I have a drama between two cats. Like you won't, not right if it's cat. the right cat. How do you know? Also, I'm worried about I having. I could help you with that. Okay, my Ben is gonna really love this. Yeah, my Ben fiance. Cohen. So, oh, the other thing that the cat does is, is it possible that since the cat is mine and now I live with a, another a, another man, he resents him? Uh, he, he doesn't, he doesn't him resent him, but uh, he he just feels left out. Sometimes he'll just smack him in the forehead. How would you feel if, if you know, you're living with Ben and then he brought home another woman? You'd feel a little left out. I would not like that. Yeah, <laughs> I would so. not it's like that thing. at all. Well, it depends on the woman, I assume. He's always talking about this girl, Steph Curry. There you have it. But, <laughs> if yeah, Steph Curry so came so to what, what is something that you found that, like, that you could tell cats and you also tell people? Like, what's the most, what's the most common thread between the two is just to be aware of what the others what the other is doing and and why why the other is doing it like the the cat um 
Casanova. If, if the cat likes to wants to eat all the time, maybe it's not getting enough attention and, and it's stuffing its feelings, and maybe you need to spend more time playing with your cat. Carol Wilburn, thank you so much for coming oh, in. Oh, Cat Therapist. Thank you. Yes. Amazing. Cat Therapist Absolutely to the stars amazing. of the cats. Everybody wants to be a cat Because the cat's the only cat Who knows where it's at Tell me everybody's picking up on that feline beat Everything else is obsolete. Die, but shoot. A square with a horn makes you wish you weren't born. Every time he plays. But with a square in the act, you can set music back to the caveman. Hey, J. Crew, it is time for some pod biz. Tonight, May 16th, I will be moderating a Zoom conversation with Rabbi Sharon Browse and Shai Held about each of their new books. That's at 6 p.m. Eastern and the final event in my Unpacking the Book series with the Jewish Book Council and the Jewish Museum. This one's on Zoom, so no matter where you are, I hope you can make it. And tonight is actually a doubleheader for me. If you're in the New York area, I'll be at the Marlene Meyerson JCC Manhattan at 7.30 tonight in conversation with Israeli rapper and singer Jimbo J. He'll be performing and there will be delicious Israeli food from Chef Mushka, who made the famous Horosets at our Passover pop-up. You can find links to register for both of those events at tabletmag.com slash unorthodoxlive. We also have some great events coming up for tablet members in person and on Zoom. On May 16th, Catherine Wolf will be in conversation with Jews who refuse to back down against hostile crowds in various arenas, from municipal buildings, school board meetings, and of course, college campuses. She'll be talking with Club Z's Masha Merkalova, Safe CUNY's Avraham Goldstein, Attorney John Kovac, Mel Waldorf, Steve Goldberg, and UNC Chapel Hill student Daniel Stumpel. Also coming up, a warm and intimate Zoom for those who have lost friendships since October 7th. That's on May 21st and will be a great chance to connect and meet new people. And on May 30th, an in-person tablet meetup in Washington, D.C., hosted by Tablet's executive editor Wayne Hoffman and Catherine Wolf. That'll be at Char Bar at 6 p.m. You can become a Tablet member at tabletm.ag slash UO member and get more information about all of these events. Okay, back to the show. So, guys, you might remember that our um, editor, Noah, is on Birthright. And, you know, that is this beautiful time for Jewish growth. And we thought we'd just check in with him and see see what's going on. Noah, how is it? How's, how's, how's the Holy Land? Uh, it's amazing. Yeah, it is almost indescribable. Um, I mean, we've just been all over, like, driving in the bus several hours a day. So we see everything and... It's just a beautiful, beautiful country. What I remember from my birthright trip is they never let us sleep. Like, we were on the bus at 7 a.m., then we were going, and then we were asleep at midnight, and they woke us up at 6 to eat, like, salad for breakfast. Yeah. I just remember being so tired. Is, is that well, the... Like, they can indoctrinate you easily, more easily. Right, exactly. It's like, sleep deprivation <laughs> is part of the My intellectual defenses are really are down right now. <laughs> I, am, uh, I am one more two-hour night of sleep away from making Aliyah. <laughs> okay, are you eating and are you making friends? Uh, yes, yes to both. I yeah, the people here are great. Um, so I'm like with 40 other, I will say mostly reform uh, Jews and not even like half Jews and basically people who didn't grow up. A lot of people who didn't grow up with like Jewish traditions or people who sort of their parents let them decide and they ultimately kind of didn't have much of anything in the way of religious education growing up. So for a lot of us, 
or sort of something like an awakening. When I went on Birthright, the thing that most surprised me was actually most people on the trip knew nothing about Judaism or Israel and actually were there to, like, really soak up as much as they could. Yeah, that's that's definitely the case here. In fact, actually, I we're about to start this little bar mitzvah ceremony for those of us that didn't have it when we were 13. Uh, <laughs> Are you getting bar mitzvahed? I, I uh, am already bar mitzvah, uh, so today I'm just a proud parent. Oh, so, that's so exciting. You know, I never became a bar mitzvah, and they didn't have that option on my oh, birthright trip. Oh, like, it was amazing. Mark. It was really moving. It was really moving? Yeah. And is it, no, is it optional, or is it like, hey, hey, we're feeding yes, you? Yes, it, it's it's optional. It's optional. But everyone who, like, pretty much everyone, I would say, who hasn't been bar mitzvah probably does it, because you're, like, so drawn to this spirit. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, it is a, it is really, like, warm and fuzzy bunch of people. Even the IDF, like, we joined, it's, like, 40 American Jews and seven IDF. And I just cute? want to report that Israelis are not rude. Israelis are some of the sweetest people. I'm I'm really surprised and impressed. No, I'm totally with you there. I've never gotten the rude vibe. I know people do, but I, I'm I'm totally with you there. What? So this is day what of your trip, Noah? Um, day eight. Day eight. As far as you know, the sleep deprivation scrambles it all. What has the highlight been? Hmm. You know, I will say. So wherever I go, it really is the people. So people, people look at the, uh, we have to wear our Tugly lanyards, our birthright lanyards, like everywhere we go. And people see them and like four or five religious Jews have come up to me and told me I should make Aliyah because they see the lanyard. Uh, and I just, I cannot imagine another country where, uh, where people see groups of American tourists and ask them, please move here. <laughs> yeah, most people are like, Americans, get away. Yeah. Have you done Bedouin Tent Night? Most importantly. We did Bedouin Tent Night the other night. It was great. Uh, I rode on a camel you... for about five minutes. What, what Stephanie's really, what yeah, Stephanie's really like, asking is... Did, did it go any, down? Did any future... Uh, were, were, were Shadokhin made? Any future marriages <laughs> begin on Bedouin Tent Night? Uh, you know, Mark... I uh, I think that's a little not something I want to talk about. It no, I'm just kidding. Uh-huh. No, there's there's nothing so, nothing uh, nothing funny went on on Bedouin tent night. But uh, you know I'm in Israel for another couple months. But you're, <laughs> so you're saying what happens on the bus stays on the bus. <laughs> what ha- that's right. What happens in the Holy Land? Yeah. Noah, I can hear your birthright glow from here. Thank you for for checking in with us. Could you send yeah. us a? Could you snap? Could you snap a selfie and and sext us a picture of tan buff Sabra Noah for for the newsletter? <laughs> yeah. You got it. You got it. Miss you guys. Miss you too. Miss Noah. you too. Thank God we have your mom here to edit the show this week. Okay. Bye, mom. Tell mom I say hi. Hi, mommy. I'm having. She's, wave, she's waving. She's waving proudly. She, she made us challah. Did she make you challah growing up? Or Actually, your dad food? made it. Like, but she brought yeah, it. Dad. Okay. That's right. It smells so delicious. You would love it. All right. Yeah, she loves us. Uh, You're out. We're in. (laughs) Don't worry. She has plenty of kids to take care of. You stay in Israel. Okay. Okay. We'll 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 keep the the Levinson family home fires burning. Thanks, Noah. Happy to hear it. All right. See you guys later. Bye. Love Noah. So this would be an opportune time to say that our editor this week is is Debbie Gallant. Mother of Noah Levinson. Of Noah Levinson. I like this. Like, we really keep it in the family. Noah was going on birthright, and we're like, mm, we need another editor. Let's just get your mom. Let's get your mom. She's, she's a great editor. And best of all, she said, you know, she comes bearing 
bearing carbs. She brought a challah that her husband Warren made for us, and I'm just like really, really all about it. I've always had a fancy to ride upon a camel, to ride upon a camel like a sheep. Like a sheep, like a sheep, like a sheep. I rode through the Sahara on a brute or cascara, but sheep, I only stuck it for a week. Hey, we'd like to welcome our new listeners and our new newsletter subscribers. First of all, a big shout out to, we have a lot of new listeners. We've been getting a lot of mail from people who say like, oh, I just discovered your podcast. And we love that mail. Thank you for writing to us. Particularly good one from South African Wayne Sussman, who says that we're that we're big in South Africa and uh, we're the talk of many bar mitzvahs and brisses. And I like the idea that we're the talk of South African brisses. And uh, so thank you. Um, we have several new newsletter subscribers. This week, we'd like to welcome the law firm of Amy Koo, Cassidy Levy, and Lauren Cohen. Amy Koo? Do you guys have any thoughts on who Amy Koo is? I do, but I don't know if you... Well, I think that Amy Koo used to be Amy Weinstein, and her fiancé was Herschel Dubenfeld. But they couldn't decide if they should be the Weinstein Dubenfelds, so they decided to just choose the name Koo, because they coo at each other a lot. And that's their sort of their, their language, their love language. Coo, coo. So they are the coos. I thought it so, had something with a coup d'etat, which is way more where my head is that's at. That's where your head, my head days. is at, yeah. cooing, and yours is at. Amy coup d'etat. Anyway, we're glad to have Amy coo. Uh, to, to get our newsletter, and, and also our husband, Herschel Ney Dubenfeld, coo. To get our newsletter, sign up on our website, tabletmag.com, or send an email to unorthodox at tabletmag.com, and be forewarned that we may make fun of your name. Okay. The mailbox. Okay. Uh, I'm going to do some quick bites from some amazing letters. This one begins, hey there, my favorite podcasters, Eva. Last week, our family had to unexpectedly say goodbye to our best furry friend, a cattle dog terrorist mix named Tucky Shalom. Being one of those who prefer the company of dogs to most people, this loss has been particularly anguishing with the guilt levels hovering near abnormal, even for a Jewess. In the midst of this grief, I knew I could turn to my trusted unorthodox peeps to provide some comic relief. Side note. Mark, I agree that shelter dogs are the best, and that's all we've ever had. Designer dogs are way goyasha, unless, as I believe Butnik said, there are allergies. Actually, I no, said yeah, that. I, I put everyone's in that saying that I said that. And it I, was my caveat. Look, <laughs> once we finish this letter, I'm going to tell you how I feel about this. Okay. However, the, the letter goes on, you are really hard on Barbara. That's Streisand. I've never heard you get quite so fired up before. Christ on skates. Just remember, she's a member of the tribe, and we got to band together, Mark, not tire each other down. There are way worse people to go after than a beloved Jewy songstress with an expensive dog habit. Dana in Chicago. P.S. Please say hi to my second favorite Israeli for me, Anil Hevet Liel. So, you guys, we have not had a chance to break down the dog discussion where Mark just, like, <laughs> threw down against, he called them gourmet dogs, which gourmet sounds dogs. like dogs you're eating. But well, whatever. Yeah. But so, and, and everyone said that I said the allergy thing. I did no, not. I said that. I said if because you have allergies, it's thing. okay. Here's the thing. And I'm, you know, this is this is a theory from our editor-in-chief, Alana. You say Jews are the mutts of the dog world. That is not true at all. Jews are like the, the purebreds of the world. We are inbred. That's why we have all these diseases. It's like Jews married Jews in tiny communities for thousands and thousands We're of years. We're basically bulldogs. Yeah. And we so it's like, like yeah, we can't. Yeah. You can't take us on planes. Yeah, yeah. Well, like, That's you know, right. but so maybe actually, we're the service dogs of the dog world. So, but I, and I, I just, you know, and I got a lot of letters from dogs. My dog, Teddy was upset. So He's Jews should be her. getting purebreds because no, Jews we should are the do purebreds. whatever they want and you shouldn't be Jews telling have them enough, what to do. Like, Insert reformed yes, Jewish joke here. Obviously, Jews should do whatever they want. Rescue dogs is great, but you can't like. I, I just the, the level of vitriol you have for people who have 
Oh, but come on. It's also about the kind of people who have purebred dogs. No, that, and that's the kind of person you hate. We like that. That's like even. I'm in, not running from this. There you go. But I think it's more. It's actually about you. And it's not about the dogs. No, it's about them. I don't know. I heard from I heard from Liesl. She's a Bernadoodle. She was upset. The dogs wrote to you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. right. I heard from several dogs. Next letter. Next letter. This one's in a nice attack on me. This will go well. The sponsor mentions lately for AT&T have been memorable because Mark keeps pronouncing the word for a billion bytes as gigabyte, as if my bytes will be so happy to flow through AT&T's network that they dance a jig. One episode from a few weeks ago had him saying the proper gigabyte, but it seems he's back to his old or simply pre-recorded ways. I'll let Mark call me a Jewess if he'll say gigabyte. Thanks, Elizabeth Lowe, Chicago. First of all, why all the hateration from Chicago? I don't even understand. Letter after letter from Chicago. Second, just just go to Taste of Chicago. As one as one writer pointed out, obviously I say gigabyte because Christopher Lloyd in Back to the Future says gigabyte. And see, I think this is like the gift gif uh, dilemma of our our time. So too, this is like you keep saying gigabyte. It makes me laugh. Here's a Stephanie letter. Hello, unorthodox. Hello, unorthodox family. I felt compelled to write after the Stephen episode when poor Stephanie was made fun of for having a difficult last name. We didn't make fun of her. We we loved we love bombed her for it. As a Lifshitz who went to Jewish school growing up, I was teased constantly. When I asked my assorted Lifshitz, Lifshitz, really? When I asked my assorted Lifshitz relatives what to do with it, they all responded with, "Don't worry, it will change when you get married." There, there's an answer for you. Imagine You're my sur- a girl. It's fine. Imagine my surprise when I grew up and discovered that in Quebec, women don't change their names when they get married. So I'm stuck with this no matter what. So, Stephanie, more power to you for choosing not to change your name. And Mazal Tov on the upcoming nuptials. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thanks to all of you for the laughs and for building a podcast community. I like to think of it as a podcast. It's not a podcast house. It's a podcast home. Yeah. It's a tent. It's a tent. It's a Bedouin podcast. I tent. love. <laughs> so, yeah, Lifshitz. The problem is, is like here. your most famous Lifshitz changes names. Ralph so Lauren. you're like, yeah. you don't have the. What's the, great about the Ralph Lauren is all of his cousins change their names too. There's yeah. always like random Laurens who like own candy stores and and dog. Well, that's his daughter. Well, what, but there's like his siblings who yeah. became Laurens. Yeah. It's like it's crazy. It's cray cray. But I, you know, there is a Lynchitz invited to my wedding. That's Ooh. like that's bad too. Put but me at that you know table. what? Look, I like pride and pride and bad last names. Yep. It's a Jewish. It's a Jew, Jewish thing. Saul Nachshin wrote to us. Hi. I was introduced to your show by my girlfriend, and I'm so happy that she did. The notes on camp really nailed everything I loved and didn't love about summer camp. I'm still good friends with my camp friends today. But falling in love with camp did not come easy. Like Mark, I started at Camp Kinderland and had a miserable time. Yeah. Yes, yes, Saul. When Mark said that it seemed like the people there, for the most part, were assholes, I could not stop laughing. That was my memory, too. And there are four exclamation points. One specific thing Mark didn't mention was we did have a color war, and it lasted for a week, except instead of colors, each team was named after causes. I oh believe I believe I was on team abolitionists while my brother was on team nuclear disarmament and my friend was on team anti-intervention slash sanctuary movement and yes like mark said after a week-long effort of team competition it all ended in a kinderland tie thanks so much for vindicating my bad (laughs) memories of camp kinderland i i love that we're ganging up on camp kinderland the only color war in camp kinderland is between the color red and the color red to red. Okay, another camp listener. Dear Unorthodox, just wanted to write in since I also, like Mark, went to farm and wilderness. The five, wow. the five freedoms, remember the fifth freedom is freedom from clothes, were definitely still a thing, although most campers didn't partake of the fifth except for the last day, which involved a massive game in the mud and a nighttime dip. One boy with a major Jew fro figured he'd be super cool by dyeing his hair multiple colors until finishing and realizing that it made him look like a clown. Camp is weird. Yours, Amory Meltzer. You know what's weird? A Jew named Amory. There's a How Croatian do you spell it? A-M. It's like Armory without the, the first R. Um, you're going to hear, you're going to understand a second why I read this letter. 
Um, it won't be immediately apparent, but dear J. Crew, I'm a reform rabbi and a big fan. However, your latest podcast had me saying F U Liel out loud to my phone at 745 in the morning. Hello. The Union for Reform Judaism has been running summer camp since 1951. With approximately 20 camps across North America, URJ operates the largest, most successful Jewish camping program in the world. And URJ camps are actually pretty Jewy. I grew up at Goldman Union Camp Institute. Gucci, one of URJ's first camps and still one of its best. It's where my parents went and where I fell in love with being Jewish. It's a big part of what put me and so many others on the path to becoming a rabbi. Le Shalom, Rabbi Emma Gottlieb. We got a lot of hate from people who said we didn't talk about reform camps, but we actually had a, a lot Micah of camp Hart. too. Yeah. Uh, camp who Gucci. went to Gucci. I went to Gucci. I just love there's a camp but called people Gucci. People really got mad about that. Okay, next camp letter. Dear Jewcasters, a great episode. However, no Gaga, please rectify. Oh, yeah, the Gaga saga. We So Tablet has run articles on the Jewish origins of the game Gaga. And um, yeah, uh, this letter continues brilliantly. I went to Arthur Rita JCC camp and Galil Habonim camp in Pennsylvania, as well as many years at Quaker Maoist work camp in Nova Scotia. Work camp. <laughs> so I just ah. wanted to, like, so I thought I went to bad camps. There's actually a Quaker Maoist Labor camp. <laughs> Labor camp. <laughs> Nova Scotia. Actually, okay. As an adult, I cooked at Farm and Wilderness while they while there was still nudity. Brilliant. See you at Jabotinsky Lake Martini Lounge. Max Magen, West Marlboro, Vermont. And finally, our best letter of the week in a week with so many good letters. Dear incredible people far, far away. I'm a 26-year-old Jewess. Yes, that's what my girlfriends and I refer to ourselves as. We even have a WhatsApp group called Jewesses. I was raised in a traditional... By the way, Mark, if you're listening, listen. Mark would like to be on that group. I totally would. I was raised in a traditional Ashkenazi Jewish household, went to a Jewish school, had a bat mitzvah, did taglit, and a masa gap year program. Now, as a young secular Jew, I flat-out rejected synagogue and keeping kosher after I became an adult at 13. Besides attending limited Jewish events on offer for young Jewish professionals parenthesis, sad singles events where you've seen everyone on J-Swipe before. Celebrating high holidays and Shabbat dinner food comas, I'm still figuring out what sort of Jew I am and how I see my future as a Jewish woman. This podcast has been a divine revelation for me. Divine. Not since Broad City did I realize that a cool Jew is not an oxymoron. And she spelled realize the Australian way with an S. You guys rock. You are my Jewish education post-school. I even recommend you to my mom. Oh, the Australianness is strong in this one. And now she has become one of your biggest fans. She even asks me every week if I've listened to your latest podcast. If you find me a nice Jewish boy, I'll finally be able to get my mom off my back, and she will advertise on your program in the Southern Hemisphere for life. Regards, Gabby Oberman. I love this. And anything that compares us to Broad City is like the best thing anyone can say. Amazing. Amazing. We will not uh, reach those levels of greatness, but Mazel Tovs, Stephanie... I got some shout outs. Can I do that? Sure. I have a shout out to, I think, the aforementioned Lauren Cohen, who is actually Ben Cohen's, the, those Cohen's best family friend or the other Cohen's. And so she started listening and she's like gone way through our archive. And it's like, she'll be like texting me about funny things I said three, two years two ago. Two years ago. And you're like, what? And it's amazing. So welcome. Oh, I also have a shout out to Stephanie Obler, who is the mother of a friend of my brother-in-law, Cliff Silverman, <laughs> but listens to the podcast. And I figured it out through Instagram and you know, small world. So small world. Just, you know, Instagram brings miracles. And the last shout out is to Molly Yeh, our former guest. Beloved. Molly Yeh. Beloved Yay! mascot of, of the podcast. Who's become she's email going... friends with my brother, Jonathan, which is amazing. Does that well, make she's... you a little bit jealous? They, it, well, Jonathan and I have had right. words about this, but they exchange oh bagel recipes. So, <sighs> so speaking of that, you know, earlier in the year, I mean, when we had her on, she said she there's no bagels in locks where she lives in Grand Forks. And she's actually going to Alaska this week. Um, to like fish salmon to make her own smoked smoke salmon. So like more power to her. Yeah. So you're now number two on the list of Oppenheimer's Molière may one day marry. 
Right. I mean, her. Does that feel a little bit? Thank God her husband doesn't listen to this show or follow her on Twitter, so oh. he knows he knows or nothing. Or that your daughter this. is in the next room. <laughs> right. Oh yeah. Okay, Liel, <laughs> so, Mazel Tov. My Mazel Tov is to Jenna Singer, uh, who is uh, the director of the JCC summer camp where my kids go. And if only every aspect of the universe uh, was run as competently and as wonderfully as that camp, uh, we would have peace and prosperity. <laughs> uh, it's just, you know, what a pleasure to walk in and see something that's just full of joy and order. And competently run. You know? Yeah. Amazing. Uh, my model tops, I'm going to hand them off to the listeners again um, while I store up, while I accumulate my own for a, a big mazel tov in a week or two. Uh, super listener Jeffrey Grossman wants to send a mazel tov to his son Seth, who just turned 41. Seth is an avid unorthodox listener, and his dad says, a great father to my two grandsons, a wonderful husband, and the proudest part of my life. And listener Alyssa Reiner just passed her licensure exam to be a social worker. She's graduating with her MSW at the end of August, and she says, if you give me a mazel tov on the podcast, that would be my favorite graduation gift ever. I haven't received any graduation gifts yet, so the bar is pretty low. She also... <laughs> I was to say, you got a master's in social work. Like, <laughs> like condolences and um, thank you for your work. But I also want to, I want to give a shout out to our listener, Hayden Cohen, who is writing a book that may or may not, he says, be based on Camp Ramah. It's like based on... It's called Camp Shmama or something. <laughs> that and name is amazing. He's almost way. done with His the manuscript. Name. We hope to see it yeah. in bookstores. Uh, good luck to you crossing the finish line. Hayden, I have a Gentile first name, Cohen. Yeah, I was just going to say Hayden Cohen is amazing. And Shmama is actually Hebrew for wilderness, which is <laughs> really funny. And a mazel tov from our producer, Alyssa Goldstein, who wants to send a big, big shout out to Marav Fine and Adam Braun, who just got married. Mazel Unorthodox is brought to you by Tablet Magazine on the web at tabletmag.com. Write to us at unorthodox at tabletmag.com. Please do write to us. At, I say that, but I like I mean it. You know, it's like it's it's automatic for me to say it at this point. But I want you to know I. Yeah, we I, have no yeah that friends. inbox is amazing. Just, like just we read the in, we love our inbox. Validate us. Our executive producers are Alyssa Goldstein and Shira Talushkin, and our show is edited by Noah Levinson. But not this week. This week it's edited, no joke, by his mom, Debbie Gallant. Our wonder intern is Sophie Aresti. Our music is by Golem. Rabbinic supervision is by Rabbi David Fine of Seattle, Washington. Kosher slaughtering is by the Dyke March in Chicago. It's actually by all of them, everyone who's in the march. Uh, we recorded Argo Studios, which never liked the designated hitter rule, and we're proud to be part of the Panoply Network. Shalom, friends. <laughs>